Welcome to another episode of B2B Startup Growth. I'm Shaw McHouse, and in this podcast, I aim to share with you wisdom from some of the smartest B2B startup leaders and professionals that I know. We talk about all aspects of marketing, sales, growth hacking, life hacking, and everything in between. Hi, Nemo. Hi, Shoham. So happy to have you here today, finally, after we've been uh, talking for such a long time. Me too, for sure. And um, what we're going to talk about today is growth hacking, which is uh, something that was very popular to talk about, I think, uh, about 10 years ago, seven years ago, when growth hacking just started to be a thing. And what evolves, evolved with it over the years is that it got some bad, bad uh, traction uh, with some practices that were uh, associated with the uh, not doing good. Mm-hmm. And so people didn't like the term uh, uh, as much over the years and sort of deserted it. And lately, what I've been seeing is that companies in the B2B space in 2023 are putting aside all the politically correctness of uh, naming practices and they want the growth hacking because they want things that just make a difference and effectively. And I think you are uh, the growth hacker that uh, from all of the people who name themselves in this area, uh, the most creative and resourceful that I've met. So I'm really privileged to have you talk with me about it today. And let's start, first of all, by I'd like you to tell the audience a little bit about you, how you became a growth hacker. Great. All right. So um, first of all, let me start with three disclaimers here. Okay. Uh, This is the first time I'm recording a podcast. Wow. What an honor (laughs) for me. Thank you. So there's like a lot of cameras and stuff, and I don't know where to look. Second, it's also the first time that I'm taking an interview in English. So... Please excuse my Hebrew accent and the rest of the grammatical mistakes. Who am I to excuse anybody's Hebrew accent? <laughs> and uh, third is that because of my non-disclosure agreements with my clients, I'm not going to disclose who are the clients or what exactly they do. I'm just going to talk about my experience and um, kind of try to stay within the explanation of how to do things and the creative parts and let's talk about the specific customers or the specific uh, uh, targets. I'm actually, I started as like as a computer hacker, as a proper mm-hmm. computer hacker uh, in uh, Unit Shmonema Time, which is the Israeli NSA. I've done that for about 10 years. And after that, I was a product manager at a few startups. Uh, and I did a lot of uh, freelancing with growth hacking and product management back in the top of the hype about 10 years ago. Um, And seven years ago, I started a company uh, here in Israel called Apollo Shield. We got accepted to Y Combinator, raised about $3 million. Seven years later, uh, we became profitable. We sold home and security equipment to police, to uh, law enforcement, to stadiums, to prisons, law enforcement equipment that can detect and drive drones away so they don't enter uh, into protected airspace or like most prestigious uh, place that we sold the equipment to was the Qatar World Cup. And then about six months ago, um, I handed over the leadership at Apollo Shield to my uh, now former uh, co-founder, started from scratch. Uh, And I decided to focus on something that I've actually been doing 
throughout all of these years as a consultant and as part as, as, a, as the CEO of Apollo Shield, which is growth hacking. Uh, and the thing that I like the most about growth hacking, the way that I did it, involves two things. It involves the idea that you can take the largest database that ever existed, which is the internet, uh, and use this in clever ways to do two things. First of all, to identify who are like your most probable customers um, using a lot of like signals that you can collect nowadays that can really tell you at, at a huge scale about a really large number of people or actually like companies or, or job titles within these companies that have specific problems that your company really knows how to solve. Um, so the idea that you can do all of this uh, at scale is like really, really interesting to me. This is a part of like my upbringing in the Israeli intelligence. That's probably the part that, that I like about it. And the do, second part... Do you feel that uh, your background in intelligence has given you unique uh, skills in doing that? I guess so, because, I mean, I think anybody with like the proper mindset can do this, but you really get a lot of like the ideas for... Um, you know, this could be really useful if I can find a person with, you know, this, this and this attributes. And you have also, you, you have the understanding that you need to find these attributes. You also have the skill and knowledge of how to find it at scale. And when you connect these two things, it's like, it's really powerful and I really like it. Okay. And the second part, which I think is more the part that you think about when you're like in the intelligence community is how do you reach out to these people in ways that make sense to them, like psychologically? How do you make it personal? How do you make it relevant to them? Uh, and how do you use it in different ways? Uh, and I can actually give you like three examples here for like not only of like finding and identifying who are mm -hmm. the customers, but how do you actually get in touch with them? Okay, so, but would you like to explain that, how you did it in Apollo Shield, for example? I can't really do that. Okay. But I can give you some examples for both of these parts, identifying okay. the right target audience okay. and reaching out to the, to the right target audience. Sure. And you can do that for various reasons, and I'll try to explain how and why. Okay. So... Which one do you want to hear first? Let's learn how you identify who you'd like to target. <clears throat> okay, that's, a great, that's a, actually a great question. There are actually different stages for this. It's going to be different if you're doing it when you're like a one-person startup and you're validating an idea. And it's going to be different if you're a, you already have a product. Where, and it's going to be even more different if you have a product that's like already well-known. I'm going to focus more on like the earlier stages because I see a lot of like startup founders uh, and I also work with a lot of companies who are like building their next product and they need to find who's like the ideal customer for that next product, like what's their next growth engine. Let's think about a company that's developing a logistics uh, service for, um, for e-commerce uh, shops, okay? So as they're doing this, they're starting to identify based on their own like experience and work, what's really special about their solution and what kind of people are going to be most interested in that. So say that they find that um, their solution works best for 
specific sizes of like uh, e-commerce shops where the owner is also the guy that's taking care of the delivery. Why? Because that's the guy who like really understands it. And that's the guy that if you save him enough time, he's going to like be interested in buying almost immediately. So you're talking okay. about working with a company that's there. They think that their ICP, their ideal customer profile is an owner of a uh, e-commerce company who's also responsible for... For taking care of like the shipping the, the items shipping. to the customers. Okay, shipping. Okay? So, so if we give this guy... So that, rec- that means it's a small company. It's a very small company if the it owner... It not only has to be a small company, but right. also a small company where this particular person takes care of that particular job. Okay. Okay. So, and wh- why is that a challenge? Because say you have uh, X amount of SDRs or X amount of field reps, mm-hmm. and they need to visit uh, shops to sell them your solution. Mm-hmm. If they're going to uh, call... All the e-commerce shops on whatever list they, they bought, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have this information, they might sell to maybe one out of a hundred uh, shops. Okay. okay. But if we can identify, if we can give them an, a, a narrower list of only the shops that are like particularly relevant to what they're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. then instead of like a one percent win rate, they're going to have 80 percent win rate with the same amount of uh, reps. Right. So, you've, so you've, you're convincing us why it's very effective to uh, narrow down your list by some criteria. Exactly. So now... Exactly. So, let's, so for this particular mm-hmm. example, one of the things that you can do um, is you, you take the same list of, of potential customers, but you start to communicate with them using methods that they're going to be communicative on. Mm-hmm. So... If you want to find out, for example, who takes care of shipping, mm-hmm. okay, you can ask a question on their chat box on their website, or you can ask or you can send an email to ask them this question, okay? Mm-hmm. And then whatever response you get, you don't actually have to get responses from all of them. As long as you get responses from enough of them and that enough of the answers come out uh, positive, you're, bu- you're now building a list. You're now building the proper list for your SDR. You're actually, you want to see who is the person who's responding to your request about chipping. Yeah, and then it, the whether idea. that guy is also the owner, the owner of the shop or How not. How do you know that they're the owner? You can, you can see their name yes. from the response. Yes. You can ask them if they're the owner. So okay. once you're already Why, communicating. Through the, chat? Yeah. through the chat. So once you're okay. already communicating, yeah. you can do a lot of things and you can let them like self-qualify themselves, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And the second you know enough about them, That's when you uh, activate your field rep or your SDR. So that's one example. And you would typically use uh, some kind of a bot that you would put together to uh, correspond with all these yeah, chats? Yeah, so that's, so that's one example. Okay. okay. Let's think about other examples. Let's say you're building a tool for DevOps guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, there's a question of whether this tool is going to be particularly helpful for companies that... That have, that have just hired their first DevOps guy mm-hmm. or for companies that already have five or six or for companies who, um, who are hiring a DevOps guy and maybe you can replace that guy and uh, put off the hiring for another four to six months. So all of these are different scenarios. And the, the issue is, first of all, you as like the, the person who's making the product, sometimes you don't really know, okay? Mm-hmm. So you actually have to go out and talk 
to each one of these customer segments mm-hmm. and find out which one of them your product resonates the most with. It's not the most advisable way to do things because it's kind of a solution looking for a problem. But let's assume that you've identified that, that we're looking for companies that are uh, just hiring their first uh, DevOps rep. Okay. okay. So you can... look up, you can actually build a chain of tools. Um, I personally pre- uh, prefer using Apollo.io and there's another, uh, there's another tool called, um, I think, I don't remember the name, but if you, if you really want to look it up, look up Jordan Crawford on LinkedIn. Uh, so he has this database of, uh, of jobs Uh, and I think that his database also has that. But let's assume that you can scrape LinkedIn for all the DevOps uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the next thing you do is you look up whoever posted that job and you go on Apollo.io or on some other LinkedIn automation and find out how many uh, DevOps guys this company already has. Mm-hmm. And you make up a big list. And in that list, you have, you know, you started with all the jobs, with all the job postings. And you are now able, once you have like another column that you've made with like programmatically with how many uh, DevOps guys this company already has, um, you can narrow it down to uh, companies that have zero reps and are now hiring their first one. So your next email is going to be hyper-targeted because it's going to tell the guy like the hiring manager mm-hmm. or the VP of R&D, hey, I noticed that you're hiring your first DevOps guy. Here's why you shouldn't do that. So you're not like spamming every company that's, uh, that's hiring a, a DevOps guy. You're particularly going after the companies that are hiring the first one. Uh, I'm not sure that I followed you exactly what is the method that you're using when you're, you're relying on Apollo as a, your source of, uh, to scrape so the for, job so postings? This, no, so, so for scraping the job postings, you can do that on your own. Okay. Or you can do that with, uh, with tools like Octoparse. Okay. Uh, or you can hire some guy in India to do that okay. if you're particularly inclined to do that. I, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't really matter how you get the information. Okay. And that's just the example, right? Because right. you can have a million other examples. And then you enrich the data with your, you know, with whatever insights you're onto. Okay. So if your insight is this company has to have, you know, this has to be the first guy they're hiring for the role, mm-hmm. then, you know, I need to go out and find the insight. Because right now, if we go online and we look up uh, what companies are hiring DevOps guys, mm-hmm. there's probably maybe a hundred thousand, uh, I don't know how many thousands of, uh, of jobs. Right. But out of these jobs, we also want to find the, Who are the ones that are for, that, that are hiring the first one in this particular role so how do you identify who's first who's hiring the who's first hiring one? the first okay yeah. so that was the question great yeah. so for that you can use the Apollo API okay and Apollo is like this big database mm-hmm. you can actually look up there's an API mm-hmm. for Apollo that you can actually look up how many people with a specific title you they have for a specific company okay so you um, so you give them the domain mm-hmm. you give them the job title you need to subscribe you do to the, the API service? call yeah it's a hundred dollars a month it's not a big okay. deal okay so you 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 do the API call and you get back a, a list of all the DevOps guys and of I course see. if this list has a length of zero 
then this is the first. And whatever okay. other length it has, now you know how many DevOps okay. guys this company has. All okay? right. So you can do a lot of other things with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and, and this can actually be used for any, uh, for, for any company and for any role. Mm-hmm. So say companies that are hiring their first uh, marketer, companies that are hiring uh, their first uh, VP, companies, whatever you're looking for, you can find in that way. So the examples you're giving are very specific and they are uh, examples where you, you found a really good idea of how to get around identifying a target. Do you think that you could maybe think what are some principles that help you think about these ideas of where to look? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so you're kind of like making me formalize how this, uh, you know, how this thought process works, right? right? right. You really have to translate mm-hmm. what you already know about your customers to how we can find out, right? So this always comes from like this interaction between, uh, I, I have both parts, right? I mm-hmm. have the understanding of like the, of, of sales marketing and customers mm-hmm. and also the understanding of like databases and what I can find online. But if you right. don't have that, you can probably have a, a if, you, if you have a good enough discussion between like a technical guy that kind of knows scraping and knows how to uh, use the internet in, in these ways and the marketer, then the marketer has to identify the particular, like the very particular uh, reasons that a customer would make a really good customer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't have to be, you don't have to be a growth hacker mm-hmm. to know that your ideal customer is like maybe companies that have, that are just now starting to think about hiring someone, mm-hmm. right? Or just now, as a marketer, you already know that. So, Probably your uh, uh, probably the way that that you what you need to do is try to tr- translate this into like technical terms mm-hmm. of how I would find that and if you don't have technical terms you can also think about what maybe what bots I can build to gather this information actively mm-hmm. for me okay so uh, do you wanna play a little simulation sure <laughs> So why don't I use your services now for penguin strategy? Yeah, why not? Let's okay. do it. So um, now I'm, I'm just for the record for the audience, I'll say I did not prepare you for this. Okay. No, you did so not. Let's just see if uh, you can be useful for, for us. So let's imagine that um, I'm right now, I want to get in front of CMOs of companies mm-hmm. who... have uh, maybe in the last few months have downsized their marketing team significantly because of the whole environment now in the market. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that happen mm-hmm. all across. Yes. And as weeks go by, this, these CMOs have identified surprisingly that there's still some work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they need... somebody to help them out in uh, executing campaigns um, 
and and they're and they're looking to get some quick wins and they're they would be all of a sudden inclined to use an agency yes okay let's let's think about this so first of all if you're looking for companies that have just recently downsized yeah um, I'm almost certain that you can have this that this signal already exists in Apollo mm-hmm Um, so you can see like what's what was the change in their headcount it either exists on Apollo or on uh, LinkedIn sales navigator so this is the first place I would look but, but wait this a is minute. just one wait, signal. Wait, wait. But yeah that signal alone is not a good signal because I don't want to work just look for the CMOs of companies who are downsizing period right I want to identify those who downsized a bit just for a improving efficiency but not that the company is in big trouble so that's, I'd like to try okay, to that's identify a, that. that's a that's a great point and there's actually a, a I'm gonna ask you a question but then I think that we can also move one step further okay and think about what other um, you know what other signals you might uh, you might have but I'll give you some more some more examples so first of all You might look for companies who have only downsized their marketing team mm-hmm. but have not downsized other things right good okay that's so good that's signal. so that's yeah. one thing that I would look for I don't particularly I can't try, like particularly tell you which tools are gonna do that because part okay. of what I do is whatever signal we come up with mm-hmm. I then go on and you know start try all of these different databases yeah. to find because no, none of the databases has all of the information. You really okay. have to look at and sometimes you're going to have to combine them, you know, take, take the recent changes to a headcount in a marketing department and change the, and, and look for the other changes elsewhere. Maybe you can look up how much, how much they're spending on, uh, on ads, mm-hmm. right? So this is not going to come from the same uh, places. Right. So, but I, I've never done that before, but I'm pretty sure that I would look at companies like Ahrefs and, uh, and Moz.com yes. to see how much they're spending today, maybe versus how much they've spent last month and the, the month before. Yeah, so if they've easy. just downsized the, mm-hmm. the number of, of, uh, of staff, but they're spending the same amounts. Or more. This, or more. That tells you something. Right. So that can really be another, uh, another source of... Uh, uh, nice, because that's of, very easy and accessible information. Yeah. And then, by the way, whatever, whatever information you come by, you can use that for the email, right? Or, right. For the, or for the DM. You can say, hey, I noticed that you've done this, that you've downsized, but your spend has gone up. Oh. So you must, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing that? And... I, I might not even look for you know if I'm gonna write a DM to this person I might not even sell them anything right like I'm I'm probably just gonna say hey I mean I've noticed this how are you doing this and if you come you know if uh, and that's the psychology part okay if you go and and you ask somebody a professional question mm-hmm. we're wired to answer right that's true. so and especially like professional to professional I can't yes. tell you how many times I I've done this when I was either validating an idea mm-hmm. or that I was actually selling something but I really st- when you really start from like this give, curiosity, give a specific example of a, um, of a time when you wanted to reach out to someone and that helped you that uh, approach of asking them a professional question helped you out so right now I'm validating an idea okay and 
I'm getting like 50% positive responses mm-hmm. from people to this one, you know, to, to a very short uh, DM. Mm-hmm. So what I'm just asking them to do, I'm, um, I'm asking them, hey, um, can I ask you a technical question about how you do cold email? And 50% of them re- uh, respond. And what's the audience that you're approaching with this question? Cold email experts. Okay. Okay. So, but you're going to be a- approaching okay. marketing experts yeah. or CMOs, right? right? So they're like part of the same community. Yeah. Um, and if you're in the same community as them, they're going to answer the question. And of these 50% people mm-hmm. that I, you know, that, that, uh, that answer the question, the next question I ask them is about, whether they're you know what how they're doing this mm-hmm. so for your example how are you doing you know how are you spending more money with less people and they're either gonna say I can't really handle this this is too too hard I'm gonna have to rehire so you asked. or uh, I'm so yeah. happy you asked. and you won't <laughs> believe it but you know if you're if you're on to something they're gonna want to talk to you mm-hmm. and they're gonna say hey are you like actually solving this problem mm-hmm. and they're gonna be happy that you reached out okay but they I like this idea thank you Nemo <laughs> okay <laughs> I'll and, try it out and I, I can take this even a step further mm-hmm. and uh, and think about like maybe keywords mm-hmm. that you can probably find lots of uh, lots of posts on LinkedIn mm-hmm. by people who are either you writing about this issue uh, writing about downsizing of uh, of marketing so if you just look up how many LinkedIn posts there are on this subject alone mm-hmm. you're probably gonna end up with a list of a few hundred uh, posts and a few hundred responses likes comments on all of these posts and you can really like if you use the the right tools you can actually make a list of all these people and You can ask the the GPT to identify out of these hundreds of people who is you know with who is this problem resonating who's responding to this with like a, a with an actually with an actual response that means that they need your service so this is another way that you can use to uh, and there are tools like Phantom Buster for doing that for like scraping the posts off of LinkedIn and for scraping the comments and for scraping the uh, the likes and And of course, you have to link it with ChatGPT if you want to like actually have the intelligence of whether they're responding positively or negatively to whatever the post is saying. Okay, so I'll link in the show notes all the tools that you'll mention. Sure, okay? sure. Um, but uh, I'm not sure, like intuitively, I'm not so sure that necessarily the people who are more responding to the topic mm-hmm. are necessarily the ones that are going to be hiring yeah you don't necess- you don't know I'm not sure. you don't know but this this certainly gives you a reason to reach out okay yeah like so that's true so you can say hey I noticed this I noticed that you wrote that mm-hmm. um, and I and I would like to ask you blank right right so you start the conversation right maybe this experiment will work maybe it will not okay but good idea to um, identify them through the keywords yes mm-hmm I'll go for it. So we've talked so far about how you identify the right people to reach out to. Yeah. Let's talk about once you've identified them and you have a list. Right. Give us some of your ideas how to get in front of them effectively in ways that are, you know, out of the 
normal cookbook of uh, marketing today? So you can do this in one of two ways. You can mm-hmm. do this in the more, let's say, traditional way of cold DMs, cold emails. And when you're These saying, the when you're referring to DMs, you're referring to what type of direct messaging? What, uh, what is your go-to? If you're B2B, then probably LinkedIn. Okay. But you can... But there are some areas where you're gonna be where you can do that on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. um, or on Facebook. It really depends. I think that like B2B is more uh, LinkedIn and like number two is uh, is Twitter. And But you're you... intentionally not mentioning email? No, email is the basic. Okay. Yeah. So I, I said that before. I was right. just but the email is email. I don't call that DM. So there's lots of like there's lots of ways to do that dm or 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 email and sometimes you can also uh do cold calls with that so this is kind of like i specialize particularly in things that can be automated and written so i don't uh i don't do a uh, cold calls mostly right but i do know that sometimes they can be very effective if they're like if they come in the right places or as i told you Uh, if the SDR is armed with like the right uh, uh, with the right information and they're not just uh, spraying and praying right but wait a minute Let, let's acknowledge for for us and for the audience that in uh, we're now recording this in uh, June 23 the amount of direct messaging that I'm getting on LinkedIn by all kinds of uh, service providers and product offerings mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. amount is the I think 10 times more than I've gotten like uh, a few months it's ago. crazy yeah it's crazy it's crazy so in light of that could you share some ideas of how what, what are some of the ways you think about making the DMs stand out and making them more effective than and rise above the noise yeah so we've kind of gone a, a full circle on you know on, on where this on where this should be. Because all of these DMs that you're, uh, that, that you're referring to, mm-hmm. they're super salesy. So sometimes, you know, uh, I actually ca- came across this, uh, this, great, uh, uh, this great short video on, uh, on YouTube. I don't remember the name of the, of the guy. And he, was, and he said, like, don't say that cold calling is dead. You're just saying that because you're you know because you're shit at cold calling right so of course all of these people that are writing these like lengthy messages and that are obviously salesy they're doing it wrong so but so if you're trying to like do it right then on LinkedIn it doesn't work anymore if you're just reaching out to the person to sell to them so you have to be a lot more personal if you want to do that. You have to be a lot more uh, passive, kind of, right? So you do have to hint to what you're doing. But if, if you're doing something that's like interesting enough, they're going to respond. So let's say, let's, let me give you an example. Uh, one, of my, uh, uh, one of my clients, they're doing, uh, uh, they're, they work with M&A teams. And what this guy is, And the, the messages that this guy is sending out, um, they don't look like the messages that you typically receive. Um, and what he's saying is, hey, I used to do M&As at McKinsey. Uh, now I help uh, M&A teams do this and that with, uh, uh, with AI. Happy to connect. That's it. All right? Okay, so, so, if you're, so if, short, if one, one thing do- you're saying, 
Be very, very short and to the point. Be very short and to the point. That, that a lot of DMs have learned no, that lo- lately. <laughs> so I'm seeing a lot of that, but I agree with you. Short and direct is short. really good. Don't sell. Okay, don't say, sell. Say what you do. Okay. But don't sell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't start with, hey, I'm this and that. I'm CEO of this and that. Okay. Because that already shows up on the top of the DM. Right. So that's like, that's a no-brainer. Just remove that. Mm-hmm. Um, And just keep it short and just make the person aware of what you do. But don't, don't pitch it. Don't be like, if they like it, if they like the idea, they might respond with like a thumbs up or say, okay, cool. Okay. And that kind of gives you permission for the next message. We should also not be salesy. Uh, it should really be like to actually start a conversation. So as I told you before, you know, if I'm going to treat you as a peer, the first thing I want to do is... Just understand how you do things and, you know, come at you with, with, with curiosity and with like actually something that can be uh, useful and not something that is meant to sell to you. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, if you're doing something that is interesting enough, um, at some point, because of the, where the conversation is going, they're going to realize that. If you can't really like and if you can't do it indirectly, then I'm sorry to say, but maybe you haven't like properly identified what's, a, a, what's unique about your, a, a, about your particular approach. And maybe they really are flooded with a lot of people just like you. So you really have to think about the different angle of maybe how you present yourself even from the get-go. So We're down to differentiation again. Yes, yes. All right, so I'd, I'd like us to go through... Um, an example and mm-hmm. if, if you're ha- happy to talk about some of the things that you learned at Apollo Shield I'd love to talk to you about okay that so not at Apollo bit. Shield but let me give you another example of something that really worked okay, okay. and it worked the, this particular example worked in a email mm-hmm. but it could also have worked in other ways so okay um, I was working with this hardware company okay and they were selling a top-of-the-line hardware for businesses mm-hmm. and they were selling it through distributors when I started to work with them when you say hardware company what like does electronics mean? Uh, uh, office electronics okay um, and when I when I started to work with them mm-hmm. they were thinking like how are we gonna how are we gonna make this grow because they already had the product they already had sales their product was really really cool um, and they had like dealers and they And we thought, like, how are we going to do that? So we actually considered two paths. The first path was going direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And the second path was, how do we find more dealers? Um, and what we found out when we did that was we found out that there are complementary products to their product. And these complementary products, let's call them like A, B, and C. If a customer was buying A or B or C, then it would make a lot of sense for them to buy our uh, our product too and and vice versa like if a customer was buying our product they would probably also want to buy a or b or c and it turns out that these companies that were that were making these complementary products they a lot of them had dealer locators on their website so you can actually go on their website you know go on website of, of product a 
search for, you know, say, I live in Texas in this and that zip code, and they're mm-hmm. going to give you a list of all the dealers in that, in that area code. Mm-hmm. Because they think you're actually looking to buy the product. Yeah, because okay, this yeah. is for their okay. customers, right? For right. customers that want to buy their products. Yeah. So what did we do? We scraped mm-hmm. all of the dealer locators mm-hmm. of all of these, um, of all of these uh, products, mm-hmm. and now we had a list of who are the dealers of all of the complementary products. Nice. Right. And we knew which dealers were only selling A, which dealers were selling A and B, et cetera, et cetera. So we really knew a lot about each of these, uh, each of these dealers. Mm-hmm. And the next thing we did was we launched an email campaign with a very personalized message for each one of them. Like, hey, we, we noticed that you were selling this and that. And here's why you should also be doing this. And, you know, out of these roughly 1,000 uh, dealers, a lot of the, like a few dozens became dealers almost immediately and the rest of them it took it took a while but when your message really resonates with the uh, with the person with the you need. give them the need. and and yeah and you yeah. give them a good enough reason mm-hmm. that's you know that's when the magic happens so what you're actually telling me this is what I'm hearing actually maybe it's also what I believe <laughs> that <laughs> we always uh, hear what we believe, yeah, yeah I guess so uh, is that The art is more in uh, identifying what the person what really is painful for them. It's more that than the art of how to write the DM. It's not about it's, the, it's not yeah. about uh, the, the right uh, words to choose, but it's the right pain to focus yeah, look, on. I think it's both because um, you have to be relevant. Right. It doesn't matter. Like if you're the best DM writer in the world mm-hmm. and your product doesn't resonate with the customer, you're screwed. Right. And vice versa. Like if your product is the best thing, but you can't write a proper uh, message, mm-hmm. that's, that's also pretty bad. But maybe you can fix it. Like yeah. if you've spoken with enough people mm-hmm. and you know how they think, then you, you're probably going to write the DM uh, or, or the email correctly. It's the same thing like experimenting with ads. But you know, but it's more targeted because you actually know that this guy needs what you're making, so you're kind of thinking about like how do i um how do I position this or how do i b- because I do know that there's really business value for that particular guy mm-hmm. with my particular product uh so nemo um i I'd like you and you've been in this business for quite a a while and uh I'm really interested to learn what were some of the highlights that uh, um, happened throughout your career that they really stand out to you as things that you learned a lot from or that really impacted afterwards the way you uh, decided to steer the, your career onward. So first of all, I really loved it. What, uh, what I already told you about with, uh, with, the, dealers. with the dealers. Yeah, because it worked really... That, that was so immediate right. and so like on point mm-hmm. that it was really... A, a, that, that I really, really loved it. I'm going to tell you about two things that I did. That was before I realized that I, that, that I was like a growth hacker. Right? Okay. So I'll tell you about two projects that I did mm-hmm. that... Just now, like when I, after handing over the, uh, the leadership at, at Apollo Shield, I kind of had this moment where I had nothing to do because I was starting something new. And I was thinking, 
So what, what's this new thing going to be? Um, and the reason that I landed on growth hacking, despite the bad reputation that this, uh, term, <laughs> you know, that term, this term already yeah. has, and I do think that, you know, but just looking back and connecting the dots, these are the two projects that really when I started something, when I started the Impact 11 six months ago, I thought, like, wouldn't this be great if I could do, you know, if I could do more of these projects all the time? Um, and so the first project uh, that was super impactful was how we got our first uh, design partner at Apollo Shield. And that... Um, and so how did that go? We were accepted to Y Combinator. Um, we, uh, we flew to Silicon Valley. We, uh, uh, we got the first investment. We came from Israel and we knew that Israel is like a really small market. So we, we would have to find, we would have to find a, a, you know, some design partner or some customer in the US. And that's what we really wanted, wanted to do in the three months of Y Combinator when we were in Silicon Valley. So, um, so what I ended up doing uh, and this again was seven years ago, was I built a bot on LinkedIn. I probably built the first LinkedIn bot in the world, or at least the first one that I know of. That, that I know of. And turns out that in the US, the sheriffs are public figures. They have to be elected. So they were all on LinkedIn. Remind the audience, what uh, were you offering? And we were offering Homeland Security equipment to detect drones and to drive them yeah. away. And back then, uh, back then uh, Amazon was just starting to talk about their like drone delivery service. Mm -hmm. But honestly, a lot of criminals were already using drones to deliver drugs into prisons. Wow. So back then, <laughs> um, our, uh, my, my job as like the CEO was to go find customers. Mm -hmm. And I did what I knew how to do uh, uh, instinctively. And I wrote a LinkedIn bot. And this LinkedIn bot would request uh, uh, connection requests from all of the sheriffs in the United States. And whoever accepted my, uh, my uh, friend request, I would go on and ask them, my, my, uh, my bot would go on and ask them, hey, um, I'm really impressed, impressed by, your, uh, by your resume. Uh, Were you impressed? Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> being a sheriff is a, is a big deal. Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm really super impressed. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but, I could re but I really understood that I could really do it. At, uh, like I could really only do that at scale, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's no way that I would have been able to identify which sheriffs in the U.S. have a drone problem, right? Right. So I really had to do this uh, at scale. And I told them that, you know, that I'm really impressed by their uh, resumes and we're a startup that came from Israel and we're in the Silicon Valley now and we raised some money and I would like their advice on how to do, um, you know, on how to handle drone intrusions into prisons or into jails. Um, and Ad advice, you asked them to, for advice. I asked them for okay. advice and like I, like I told mm -hmm. you before, and this is like, this is a hack that really only works for like when you're starting out, mm -hmm. right? And, and also when the field is very early. Right. Okay. And that, and why does that work? Because if you're like, if this person has a drone problem and you just told him that you're a anti-drone startup, yeah. this guy's going to want to talk to you. Definitely. So, and they did. Right. Okay. And so that's why within those three months at, uh, uh, at Apollo Shield, mm -hmm. I was able to, we were able to install the first uh, system in Houston, Texas, for the uh, for the sheriff's department, and 
doing that in uh, three months was really incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when, when we were up on the stage at the final day of, uh, of uh, Y Combinator, and we told the, the audience that, hey, like we have this already installed. They, this blew their minds. Yeah. And that's how we raised $3 million and went on to, uh, to build the company. So this was the first uh, influential uh, point. And again, like today, it might not be... Uh, Because we have all of these LinkedIn bots, but back then no, but it's still was, a very valid um, method to reach it still out is. It, to it 100% uh, your, yes, still is still. and I think that like for uh, for B2B founders for mm-hmm. sure this is how they're going to get their first customers for sure. Uh, yeah. this is the best way. Um, yeah. other than like if you if you personally know these people and I didn't know any sheriffs in the US so right. I, I had to do that. <laughs> um, The second, uh, uh, the second part, which was really, really cool, and again, this was, this was something that I did um, when, I was just a, when I was just a freelancer. Like, I didn't know that I, I didn't have all the dots to connect back then mm-hmm. to say, like, this is part of my journey to becoming a growth hacker. Mm-hmm. But I was working for a, a... I did this project for an app company, uh, and that app company... They were making a, a video app where you could shoot yourself in a video with celebrities. Mm-hmm. So um, not really with the celebrities. Not really with the celebrities. Just... They would make up these, you know, these scenes mm-hmm. where, for example, Heidi Klum is on the phone mm-hmm. and she's calling someone, and then you get uh, the, the, the scene is cut, and now you shoot yourself on the phone like you're speaking right. with Heidi Klum, right? Yeah. So they have all these videos, all these like video memes. You're editing with... yourself into a video with a celebrity. Exactly. You're editing okay. yourself into a video with a celebrity. And back then, again, seven years ago, mm-hmm. Vine was super popular. Yeah. By the way, I think that like TikTok is kind of like what Vine was seven years ago. Uh, and back then, what uh, uh, the most popular video was a video of Taylor Swift. Uh, the, the song was "Shake It Off." Mm-hmm. And she would be like dancing, and at some point in the video, she would do, she would do this gesture, mm-hmm. and then the video is cut, and you shoot your, and, and, you, uh, and you video yourself, and you edit that into the video, blah, blah blah. So And this became like really popular on that, uh, on that video app. And what we did was we actually wrote a bot that downloaded all of the videos that had a hashtag dance mm-hmm. in the video. And whatever video we found, we would edit the people dancing into the Taylor Swift video. Okay. So when Taylor Swift did that... And then for the audio listeners, um, you're pointing your fingers yeah. to the front of the camera. Yeah. When, <laughs> when like Taylor Swift would point at you, yeah. now we'd stitch in the video of these people dancing. Right. And we actually like made this short video and reposted it back as a reply to whoever posted the original, uh, to the original dance video. Cool. And this became a huge hit. Like within three hours, our hashtag got to the top of the trending charts. Um, and so that was also one of my first growth hacks like seven years ago. Okay. And that's what really... So uh, what, what did you learn from it that still applies today that you could use today? So what, what still applies essence? today is actually this really applies to the same thing that I told you about before mm-hmm. is this is about connecting with people around specific topics that are interesting to them. So Or also, th- another thing I would take out of that is that 
as a marketer, it's really useful to look for something that's specifically now trending. Right. And then try to ride that using people's attention to that trending thing. Mm-hmm. to grab through that attention to your your uh, pitch exactly and and some and one guy that did this particularly well by the way mm-hmm. um, is Tom Orbach from Wiz he's mm-hmm. one of these a really is uh, amazing uh, growth hacker and what he did was um, they actually posted something on uh, uh, on Christmas mm-hmm. and they have this meme of ugly um, of ugly sweaters and <laughs> um, It turns out that this is like a big thing and he and and they posted a, a post that whoever would post their uh, their uh, whoever would say that they want an ugly sweater like they have to tag four friends blah 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 and uh, and the winners will get uh, the ugly sweaters and what they did was whoever commented on that they would go and they would stitch his face and On a, a person like a, on a person with the, 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 this ugly sweater <laughs> and in the response they posted that picture so that really made people laugh because it was like personalized to them right. in the same way that my Taylor Swift video was personalized yeah. to the uh, to whoever up originally uploaded the dance yeah. and people really liked that this became like this post became a huge hit um, so really people I think, like to see their face on the All kinds of yeah, content. People like, to be, people like to be recognized. People like to be, uh, you know, to, if, you're, if you're able to, like, take something that they did and do something with it, uh, alter it, make them laugh, uh, connect with them, and this, then it's, it's, a, it's a huge way that you can, really, uh, you can really connect with people. Are you familiar with some useful tools now that they make it easy for... to personalize the reach out with video which is very or or images or video that are very very personalized to the person you're writing to so actually I think that uh, uh, there there are some uh, cold email image personalizers mm-hmm. for example if you're sending somebody a cold email right. and you you can you can Uh, have a photo of yourself holding a sign okay and that sign would say that person's name mm-hmm. so it would kind of feel to them that hey I mean, this person yeah. actually personalized it so the uh, the tool that can do that is called lemlist we'll um, link to that also yeah so they can do that uh, I, I guess there are others and there are also a handful of other um, of other email personalizers and DM personalizers that like read your LinkedIn account and can tell you like can congratulate you on something or can but I, I don't personally like these ones particularly because um, they they're they've also become kind of like robotic and generic I don't care if you know if you're sending me a DM, I don't care that your sister went to the same school that I did. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't, like, it doesn't resonate with anything that I've actually done mm-hmm. lately mm-hmm. That, that's like really relevant to, to what you're doing. But, uh, I but know with, a lot of people who would argue with you about that, that, they, that would say that reaching out to someone and telling you, oh, by the way, I went to school with your sister. That's, that, that's that a valid point. That's some a valid people point. think anyway, that I works. Anyway, I don't think I would lead with that. Maybe <laughs> okay. I would like personalize it at the bottom of the, of the message. Okay. Um, just, you know, as a, as a small uh, candy uh, okay. at the bottom. But 
but but I really like what I told you about like uh, a Phantom Buster, which mm-hmm. can scrape people's responses to uh, to posts mm-hmm. and can like actually address what they wrote in that. This is a super powerful tool, and I think that if you use that, uh, if you use that right, you're really gonna be able to connect with people in a different level than uh, so repeat uh, the name of the tool. So uh, what you need is a chain of like several tools, mm-hmm. but uh, probably the most uh, uh, probably the, the most useful one that you're gonna have to build around is Phantom Buster. Phantom and you Buster. need to download okay. a list of like posts that talk about a specific subject and and replies and check the posts and the replies and the people and see you know you, you're gonna have to like build yourself a list, like we said before and uh, and narrow this down. With what GPT can make of this person's response, and if there also happen to be a VP of marketing at a target company, that's when you have like the bingo, and that's when you want to reach out to that person. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So I think uh, you've uh, mentioned lots of uh, useful nuggets, and we're nearing the end of the uh, interview. Uh, so I want to ask you first of all, two, two questions as uh, to kind of close up do you think that the, the process that you described where you're uh, you know taking a, working with a company first to identify what's unique about what's the very very uh, specifics of their target audience and then afterwards working with them to identify how very specifically to approach these people do you think do you anticipate that in the next few maybe say two three years this process would be heavily assisted by AI in a way that not everybody will need to seek a very smart growth hacker like yourself but they could just rely on these AI tools to do that so a lot of the things already are uh, being built with AI for example mm-hmm. um, this idea of the looking at what people have posted and like specifically addressing that that's really only recently become possible with AI because mm-hmm. this is something that you can like really make of a pe- person response and classify it whether it means that they might be interested in what you do or not or whether this indicates a frustration with a particular situation or not this is something that you couldn't do before but now you can do with AI mm-hmm. um, so it's already being impacted with AI. Um, I think that the the two things that are not going to change are the fact that it's really hard to to reach product market fit. And why is that? Because when you're building something new, you don't know it you don't necessarily know at the onset what particular point is resonating with your audience. Sometimes I sometimes I uh, uh, I talk with entrepreneurs, And they say, okay, so I'm just going to write a bunch of uh, ad copy and I'm going to see which one resonates. But this, but this process doesn't usually work because you really have to talk with people and understand them. And only from this like, understanding are you able to actually extract the parts that they care about and mm-hmm. the parts that you can help with. So I think that this part is like the magic part that I'm not really sure that AI... We'll be able to solve and there's also a part that we haven't spoken about mm-hmm. where this whole process uh, 
when you're pre-product market fit, mm-hmm. um, you actually have to do a lot of experimentation in a lot of different areas and fields across a lot of different maybe target personas. And maybe with this, the same target persona, you, you want to test three uh, value propositions and you're not sure. So you really have a lot of uh, a lot of space that you need to cover by the way what this I is told also, you so wait, far I just want to make a point that what you're saying is also valid for post product market fit because you're still needing to validate what are the messaging and what exactly is the segments where you're going to market and so on so all this validation is still relevant even if you do have product market fit but now you're looking to scale in very different significant uh, segments it's right. still the same kind of problem right I, I agree that this can be the same kind of problem especially when you're going after new segments yeah. with the same product yeah the way that I think about it is I told you about like in this meeting mm-hmm. I told you about a lot of like miracles right right but these miracles don't only happen if you're systematically trying different approaches and you uh, and you And you think about it in like a methodical way, right? So right. you don't just throw something at the, uh, you know, you don't just do a, a lot of cold uh, DMs and then say, hey, DMs don't work because you have to get good at it, first of all, and you have to try many different scenarios, right? Maybe DMs don't work for, uh, for VPs at, you know, these companies, for VPs of engineering, mm-hmm. but they are going to work. For the newly hired um, DevOps guy, right right So if you're not trying all of these different things, mm-hmm. you're not going get uh, you're not going get the results and I don't think there's gonna be like an AI that's really going to try all of these things on your behalf, right So it's gonna be very heavily assisted yeah. like you're gonna say I want to reach out to these people mm-hmm. fine, maybe AI will help you do that mm-hmm. but the, I think that over time, It's going to become increasingly important that you, like whoever is building the thing, is actually managing the process and talking with customers. And I don't think that's going to change soon. Maybe, you know, maybe a lot, a lot later. Yeah, well, hard to anticipate. I'm, uh, I'm, I've been like blown away with some AI abilities to think lately that... Uh, I'm really oh it's definitely I'm really, um, it, it's definitely puzzled. doing a lot it's definitely yeah. doing a lot and I think that a lot of the people like when you're writing even when you're writing something mm-hmm. AI can make it better faster right right so this is for sure already changing yeah um, yeah I'm really curious to see what else is going to happen yeah it, it's it, <laughs> I'm curious and and excited and scared all together yeah like we but all you are. have to but 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 <laughs> You know, I like it. I like riding the wave because, you know, um, I think that it's going to be best if we learn how to use these tools and to become like really good at, uh, at utilizing them. Of course, the people that are not going to know how to do that and they're going to be replaced by these tools, that's tough luck. So I focus a lot on learning and a lot on like trying out new things and understanding. And it's super cool. Okay. Super cool. Um. Last question I have for you today, Nemo. Um, is there anything that you can think of that you wish now that you had known maybe 10, 10 years ago or so when you just 
you know, started out, you came out of the army and you started your uh, work in the business world. Mm -hmm. Anything that you wish you had known? Wow. I had like, when I just, when I was just getting started, yeah. I had absolutely no idea how, you know, how things work. I, I really <laughs> did not, did not know how business works. Arguably, I still don't because, you know, <laughs> I, I raised uh, $3 million. I know people who have raised $300 million. The yeah. way their businesses work is probably a lot different uh, mm -hmm. from mine. Um, I, I did learn that, and that's something that I kind of, that kind of changed for me uh, when I started this new business six months ago, mm -hmm. is that what I... The thing that I really, and that's the reason that I really love what I do now, is because there's actually a good fit between um, what I'm doing, uh, what I like doing, what I'm good at doing, what I can get paid to do. And a lot of people, like, maybe they think about, you know, I'm going to do this because it's, uh, you know, because Reward. I'm good at it, yeah. but maybe it's not rewarding. Mm -hmm. So over time, I realized that there is something about what I'm doing now that's like very immediate mm -hmm. um, that I didn't have in my previous uh, in my previous company it was a homeland security company the sales cycle was months or even years um, it was a very different industry from what I'm doing now and what I came to realize is that you know I, I wasn't in the right industry and uh, And I came across this concept of called Ikigai. Um, and what it basically says is that you have to consider a combination of four things when you're thinking about what you want to do. Um, and this is, and before I tell you that, I'm going to uh, tell you, a, I'm going to tell you a piece by Scott Galloway. Um, he's a famous professor. Uh, and he said, you know, Don't listen to people who, who tell you to follow your passion because they're already rich. <laughs> and, That's true. And so this is, it's interesting to think about it. And really like the way that, uh, and really the thing about uh, Ikigai is that you have to consider four things. To like, Ikigai is the initials? Ikigai, no, that's the, that's the Japanese name for this oh, concept all right. of like how to choose what to do. Okay. Uh, what you, like what is your purpose in life? Okay. And if you can tick these four boxes, mm -hmm. then you're probably on a, a, on, a, on a good path. And I think that for me, six months ago, when I, did, when I moved into something that really does tick all of these boxes, um, is, can, can really make a difference. And that's, th these are the four boxes. Okay, of I'm taking notes. <laughs> is, doing, uh, is thinking what does the world need? What, um, what you love doing? What you are good at? And what you can get paid for? So if you're able to find something that ticks all of these four boxes, you're, you're going to be in a good spot. And If you tick only three of them and you leave out the fourth, there's going to be something missing out. Yeah. Um, I want to comment that uh, this is a really good uh, goal to tick off all four boxes. But I want to admit that uh, it took me about 30 years of my career until I felt I reached that point. 
where I could really tick off all four of these. So it's, it's, a, it's a journey to, yeah, I to guess tick you, it off. I guess you really, well, it took me a lot of time. And I, mm-hmm. you know, no, no one really has all of these boxes ticked off all the time, right? Sometimes yeah. you have to make a trade-off and say, I'm going to do something that's not exactly, doesn't exactly tick off this box, but, you know, this is a trade-off because I'm going to do this. But I think that if you're aware of all of these things and you can think about them, uh, Like if you start. can be mindful of that from yes. the start, you're going to be better off. I love that advice. I think this, we couldn't close it better with the very valuable advice for people who are younger in their career. I really agree with that, that uh, just going after your passions is, is very, good, very it's risky. <laughs> it's not enough. It's very risky. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much, Nemo. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank and, you. I uh, love you, Sean. And I will uh, include in the show notes a lot of the nuggets that you mentioned. Sure. So everybody can uh, look them up. And uh, I'm sure we'll meet uh, soon in other endeavors. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the B2B Startup Growth Podcast, bringing you the latest wisdom on marketing, sales, growth hacking, and life as a startup leader. I'm your host, Shoham Ekhaus, and if there's a particular topic that you'd like me to cover soon, please reach out to me on b2bstartupgrowth.com and let me know. Bye.